<laughs> I started out with 1 Peter 1 uh, as my text, but, um, but, I, but as I got to thinking about last week's sermon Ramon had given us, he had, to, he had, to, he had encouraged parents to, to make sure they took care of business with their young people and taught them well. As, as, you had con- as, as you had them in your, uh, in your homes. And then uh, Mark, the week before, had talked about the nuns. Do you remember what he, talk- what he said the nuns were? The nuns were the people, the young people primarily, who, who when they had asked them a question, question about their religious affiliation, they said none. And so, um, so I got to thinking about those two things, and I kind of thought I had to, I had to, to do something that was a a little bit ex- uh, outside of the ordinary for a sermon this morning. I, I, I know that expository preaching is, is the very best type because verse by verse, word by word is the very best way to, to express God's word. But in our society today, it seems like we have a lot of, a, there's a lot of ambiguity and, 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 uh, and uh, deception going on. And, and the primary place it starts is that we've heard in, it, 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 that it starts in the schools and the colleges. And, and so we're all products of a school and a college in some way or another, whether it's public school or there aren't a lot of people my age that were homeschooled, and that's really why I like homeschooling a lot because it, it removes the, the uh, young people from the influences of the world that they're getting in, in public education now. Not all public a- education is bad, but for the most part, what you'll find is public a- education is working in opposition to, the, to, the, to the, a, a godly sort of a home um, a family uh, circumstance that we find in our homes. And so, so I wanted to, uh, to bring that up. But before I do, my wife said that I need to make sure I pray before I start. Uh, Daniel already prayed for me, and I, I liked his prayer. But I, I, but I do want to pray just really quick before we start here. Heavenly Father, we, we, we want to lift up your name today and pray that we, whatever we do and say in this place would honor that. And, and most of all, I pray that your word would be handled accurately and there wouldn't be any error there. And, and that as we look at, at your face and we... And we see how you, uh, what your desire is for your people. I pray that that would be, would be done in a way that would honor you and glorify you today. Because we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Amen. So that terminology, nuns, came from a Pew survey in nineteen, in five years ago, in, in uh, two thousand and eighteen. And they asked, they had a survey of young people, but it was a multiple choice survey, and there were some inadequacies involved in that multiple choice survey. But it was a, but it was, it was telling nonetheless that, that they had decided that these were the five. Qu- categories to, to base their survey on, and uh, uh, um, <coughs> oh, they were, uh, they were uh, uh, 51% of the, the, uh, the respondents questioned, their relig- questioned religious uh, teaching. 46% don't like positions on social and political issues that uh, Christians take. 34% don't like religious leaders. 31% says religion is irrelevant. So that was a Pew survey, and they were, like I say, there were multiple choice. I, I said five, but there were only four there. And so, but they did a follow-up survey, and they found out that these young people, and, and I, I, give, I, give, I, I think several years ago when I was up here once before, I, I, I mentioned this survey, but there was a follow-up survey for those same young people who took this survey that, that asked them, did those, were those the questions that you would have asked in a survey? And the young people said, no, those aren't, those aren't the questions. Those, th- that isn't why we've... Uh, why we have discarded or, 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 or left our family's faith and, and the religious teachings in our family. And so, so um, uh, the, uh, this survey, this follow-up survey says, uh, says that these were the six reasons that they primarily that they had rejected the, the faith of their parents and had left their, their homes. And so, so this, was a, this became a, a, a really a, um, 
profound part of my thinking years ago when I read a book by, by Ken Ham called Already Gone. And in his book, he, uh, he, the premise of his book is by the time they're 10 years old, they've already, they've already rejected their family's faith. And so that you better do something before they're 10 in order to catch them and, and, have, and, and build their faith up and, and have a faith that reflects your values and, uh, and, what, and, and, and you would hope that they were, they were, God's, uh, what they were a godly sorts of values. So here's, here's, what the, here's what the young people actually said. Views on God had evolved, meaning that they don't believe he is. So they, they would say that their views about God had evolved over the years and they didn't correspond with the views that their parents held. Uh, they, they were exposed to evolutionary teaching in college or even in, in public high school situations. So once they learned evolution, that they re had rejected their parents' faith, as if evolution was the right answer for what, how, how we came into being. I, I want to come back to this in just a minute. I, but uh, I, so, but it's, a, it's, a, it's probably the one, you know, most young people says that, that is a, that, uh, our Christianity, the creation account or intelligent design is, a, is, a, is not a, a, a rational thought. Rational thought makes religion go out the window. So if you're a rational person, religion goes out the window. That's if if to say it's not logical. But, but, but I can, I'm not, well, I'm not going to try to. By the way, young people, all of you young people sitting in this room right now, I want you to take out a pencil and paper. Because if I say something today that you question, I want you to ask me, okay? Even old people, you can do that too. No scientific evidence supporting creation or ID, intelligent design. I'm doing my own research and studying and not depending on others, meaning that they don't believe what's happening from the pulpit or what's happening downstairs in children's church or what their mom and dads are saying about who their God is. So, so no, they're going to do their own research and, and, and decide what they believe because of that. I, I mean, I, and so Now, this is what they were saying. It doesn't have to make sense, remember. It just has to make sense to them. Realize that somewhere along the line, I just didn't believe, really believe. So somewhere in that, in that spectrum of birth to the time they leave home, somewhere in that time, they discovered that they didn't really believe. And so, and, and those, like I say, they, these don't have to be rational reasons, but they are in a young person's mind. And you need to get your kid to about 25, maybe 30 years old, where they finally start thinking rationally before they'll understand what maybe the, the deficiencies in some of, these, some of these explanations really were. And Ken Ham, when in that book, Already Gone, he said that, you know what the primary indicator of a kid who's going to leave his family faith is? That they were in Sunday school their whole life. They were in Sunday school from, from the time they could get, walk until the time they left the home. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? Is that what we want for our children's church downstairs or if we had a Sunday school? Do we want our Sunday school to be incorporating into their life their life view, their worldview, the idea that what's happening in this building is not, is, is not important to them or not relative or not rational? Of course not. So there must be something about what we're doing that, <coughs> that uh, in, our, in our Sunday schools that doesn't really make sense. It must be a fairy tale to them mostly. And a lot of times we do stories in our children's church in our Sunday schools, and that's one of the reasons why we downstairs we try to, there are stories that are involved, but they're stories that we, we, we present as actual accounts. They're not fairy tales. Or they're, they're things that actually happened, and we present those to young people as if, as if they were reality, not as if they were some fairy tale that these young people had to, to kind of sign on to and eventually make that part of their life. 
And so th but that was a pretty, uh, that, was a, that was an amazing sort of a realization to me that, that, that Ken Ham says one of the primary indicators of a young person leaving the faith that they had been, that they had been raised up in was the fact that they had been in Sunday school every Sunday for, for as long as they can remember. So, <clears throat> so uh, I think from the get-go, we kind of maybe ought to apologize to our young people that maybe something's not happening in our Sunday schools that needs to be happening, or maybe something isn't happening. If they've rejected what they hear from the pu pulpit, maybe there's something we're doing from the pulpit that isn't right either. And so whenever my, the way I like to attack this scientific idea about, about before, I get to, before I get to 1 Peter, Haley's back there wondering when I'm going to get to 1 Peter 1.3 in and, and, and just a minute, Haley. But the, 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 the way I like to attack evolution is, is, is at its very core. And nowadays, the Big Bang Theory is, that, and, I, and I shared this with, with the, we meet, the, there's a, a group of us that meet downstairs every Sunday from 8.30 till 9.45, and we, uh, we, we do a basic, we're doing a, a Know What You Believe course, it's kind of a basic Bible doctrines, but I, I think the smartest people in the church are in that class. So, um, so I shared this with them this morning, but, but the idea of the, the, the big deal now with evolution is the Big Bang Theory, that's the one that's kind of taken over the thought of it, and it, it, it has this idea that there's a subatomic particle that has all of the mass in the entire universe incorporated in it, and all of a sudden it explodes, and we have what we have. We have this universe full of planets and stars out of one subatomic particle. Now, that's scientific? Come on. I mean, it, that, that goes to the, it, it appears just by virtue of creation that everything was ex nihilo, came from nothing, and so this, this Big Bang theory sort of satisfies that idea that everything came from nothing. But then you add on top of it that somewhere along the line, one of these planets had a, had a, had a weather system that created, and there was thunder and lightning and salt water even, and things like that. And lightning stuck, struck a pond of salt water, and, and some group of molecules or atoms were energized and suddenly became a, a single cell organism, but it really isn't a single cell, it has to be multiple cells in order to be an amoeba even, so, so that, that's, where, that's where life started. And then to get all the variations in creation from that single, that single amoeba or cell, can you explain that? Does that sound scientific to you guys? I mean, give me a break. Kids go to public school. If you're, if you're swallowing that stuff, you need way more faith than I need to believe in a creator God. I mean, your faith has to be so sound and strong that there's nothing that could interfere with that faith. So, I mean, I, it's, a little, it's a little more complex than I just said, but that ba that's the basis of what evolution is here. And so, so, and by the way, you know, when we talk about prominent evolutionists and everything and being scientific, Charles Darwin, do you remember, you remember what his book was? February 15th, 1849, The Origin of the Species. The Theory of Natural Selection, by the way, they've left off the Theory of Natural Selection in the title of that book now. The theory of natural selection. There, the theory of natural selection has been completely debunked, so you have to have origin of the species. But Charles Darwin was a preacher's kid. Did you know that? And he was an accountant, and suddenly he became this mastermind of evolution in, on February 15th of 1849. And he's the one we believe. And he's the one that most, that most people hold up as the, as the progenitor of the modern theory of evolution. And so, so but, huh? Somebody say something? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. On his deathbed, he said, you know what scares me to death? The eyeball. I've said this, you guys have heard me say this before, 
But when the optic nerve, when the eyeball is formed, there's 11 million cells over here and 11 million cells over here, different cells. But on each side, there's one that corresponds to another one on the other side. And they come together and they find their exact match. 11 million times, they find their exact match. And that's what forms the optic nerve in the eyeball. The optic nerve is a half inch long. I mean, it's longer as it extends through the brain. But it's the, when, it's, when the scripture says the eyes are the window to the soul, that's really true. Your soul, your heart, your mind lies a half inch away from your eye gate, you know. And so, yeah, so he did eventually recant what he said, and sort of, sort of like Martin Luther when he recanted his idea about the authenticity of the book of James. We get it wrong sometimes, don't we? I mean, I, <coughs> I tell my grandkids I'm never wrong. Usually I've ha I have eight grandkids spread across that back row, and none of them came today because they knew I was preaching. Because <laughs> I make object lessons of them. Not really, they didn't say that. They're all at my granddaughter-in-law's church this morning. And so, but when they heard last night, when they heard that I was going to be preaching, they said, oh, I'm glad we're not going to be there. <laughs> but anyway, so that's kind of how I wanted to start out today. I wanted to start out today, young people, the, the faith that we profess in, the faith that's presented from this pulpit up here every Sunday, and as we teach it, and as you, there, there are Bible studies you can go to, there are, there's, a, there's places men can go one Saturday a month, and there's a ladies' Bible study, and there's a ladies' group that meets here every third Saturday, and there are places that you can go that you can be exposed further to what we, what we believe here in this church. And as we, as we look in this, in this word today, I want you to know that I... <clears throat> hmm. How do I say this without breaking up? It's a, there is not a word in this book that isn't, that isn't um, uh, inspired. There's not a concept in this book that isn't inspired. There's not anything that we find out of this book that isn't inspired. And the reality and the accuracy of what's in this word has been attested to so many times over the years that there's really no doubt anymore that we're, the, the Bible that we get a look at here, that we have, I have 17 Bibles in my house, you know that? Do you guys, any of you guys have said more than that? <laughs> but the Bible that we, get, that we study, that we, we read, is an accurate, an, an accurate portrayal or an accurate um, a, a copy of what God had intended to be really for real. Now, the, um, the inspiration of Scripture, the infallibility of Scriptures is something that's an important concept. And in, in our downstairs, our first Sunday was, taught, was about the Bible. And we talked about, in the, the Bible, we, we wanted to lift up the Bible as the inspired original word of God, and that what you're looking at is, is reality, and, 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 it, and it's, a, it's the way God would have you to, to look at it. But, but let's, go to, let's go, to go ahead and turn to First Peter. And there's a few other scriptures that I'm going to be going to, and I'm, I'm not as good as Mark. By the way, Mark will be back next week. You don't have to listen to guys like me up here. But, but, I, but I have a really hard time when I get in this pulpit because... I get too teachy. I mean, I, it's some, and, and, and I should be more preachy, I think, more than teachy. But, but, um, um, but I like I, I like the, the I, I like the idea that that we uh, we get to have, have a, a viewpoints in this 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 building, this church, that are from different men, but agree on one thing: that the God that we love and serve and obey is the same God. And we approach it from different we approach it from different directions, but get to the same place every time, and that's what I really enjoy about Mark's preaching too. When he gets up here, it's a, there's a reason why we're in church. When this book, First Peter, was first in a most of the the Old Testament books or New Testament books, especially the epistles, were what they call circular letters. 
And they would write them and they would circulate through the known churches at that time. And if you weren't in church, you didn't see them. You didn't hear them. So it wasn't like us now where we have, might have 17 Bibles in our house where we, can, where we have the word of God with us all the time. They did not get it unless they were in church. And there, there is still, to this day, there are things you will not get unless you are here. If you miss a Sunday, you'll never get it back. And I, I know I've said that many times, but if you miss a Sunday, you can never retrieve that Sunday. Something will happen, something will be said, some worship, something that happened up here will never happen again. It's every Sunday is unique. And so there's a sense in which it, that church is, is, is such an important part of our life that it can't be neglected. And so... Uh, <clears throat> So th as we go to this book, First uh, Peter, there's always, a, there's always an element of, of introduction to when, you, when you start with a book, and Peter's my favorite. But I named my son Peter, by the way, S but that's not the reason I chose this book. But Peter is my favorite of the apostles. He gets a really bad rap, by the way. They call him an inar in 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 inarticulate, uneducated fisherman. <coughs> Give me a break. If you, from... If you walk from Peter's house to the, Capernaum, the synagogue, the shul in Capernaum, the, the journey for Peter from his house to that synagogue would have been about to the middle of our parking lot. So the biggest, the largest shul in the entire country of Israel at that time was in Capernaum. And so Peter walked, was only a few steps away from him. We never hear much about Peter's dad. He was this Barjona, Simon the son of Barjona, was, was who Peter's dad was. But I would be willing to bet this, this Simon, this, this, this son of Jonah, was a, was a pretty amazing guy. And then they say that just the, because he was a fisherman. Well, <laughs> uh, one of the, in, in 1 Peter 5, 12, there's a reference there to Silvanus or Silas. And they, a, a, lot, of, a lot of people make uh, excuses for, for Peter's so-called lack of, of uh, finesse or... or or intellect, as far as the word goes, they, because they, they think that Silas or Sylvanus was the one who did the actual scribing or secretarying of the word of God. <coughs> um, Paul was a tent maker, wasn't he? But he was considered one of, the foremost, one of the foremost of the theologians of their time, educated by Gamaliel, and he was a Pharisee. <coughs> and so he was a tent maker. Peter was a fisherman, we know that, that's the way he made his living. But Silvanus, or Silas, who was considered the one who was, who was responsible for the, for the, for the, uh, uh, for the uh, perfect Greek grammar that was displayed in First and Second Peter. But Silvanus, do you know what that name comes from? A lot of people in those days were named. It comes from the word Sylvan. Do you know what that means? Forest? Forest? I think Silvanus was a logger. Can you think of a logger who was a secretary? Do you know any loggers that are secretaries or scribes? So I don't give him any, there's no more, there should be no more credibility for Silas or Sylvanus than we give to Peter. But Peter, you look at his, his first two books here, his language is the, the, uh, the theology, the, the orthodoxy that he displays in his two books, in my mind, are the best of all, even, even superior to Paul's. And I don't say that lightly because Paul was a pretty amazing guy too. But remember, Every, weir, every word in this scripture was inspired by God, and he used individuals in order to, li to use their, their, their uh, uh, idiocentric or, or unique personalities to give personality to the books that, that, we, that, we, uh, that we get to take part of in the New Testament. So, <clears throat> and this probably happened around 60 AD, and in the very first sentence after 
Peter introduces himself here. We're going to find out something about the people of the day in First Peter here. This, this, in this day, there was a lot of persecution going on in the church. And we have to remember that, that <clears throat> by the time 70 AD, this book was probably written about 60, by the time that 70 AD rolled around, they say there probably weren't any Christians left in Jerusalem because the persecution had become so great. And you know where they went? They went to these cities that we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. And by the way, this, most of these cities are mentioned in Acts 1 where we find the, the, the upper room discourse. <clears throat> and they went to Egypt. I mean, like, it seems like a lot of times in, in throughout the history of the, of the Bible, the people went to Egypt to escape persecution or escape whatever. Even, even Messiah, by his parents, where, where did they go whenever they found out that Herod was going to kill all the babies under two? Egypt. And so, uh, <clears throat> so there's some pretty amazing kind of um, uh, allusions about how prominent Egypt was in the, uh, in, when, when the exiles occurred and when the dispersions of the diaspora, as they call them, happened in later years. But, but so, um, so what else can I say about Peter? The other thing, I, I just want to mention a few words, and I, don't have a, I won't have a chance to do a really good job on First Peter because there's some places I'd like to land there with you guys while I have time, but <clears throat> there's, a, there's some words in there that, that, that demonstrate a theology that he has that is very, that is very superior to what we give him credit for. Uh, uh, he, he was a fisherman, probably had dirty, rough hands, and, uh, and uh, Jesus was a carpenter. By the way, carpenters back then didn't just make things out of wood. They were stonemasons also. So a, he was a carpenter and a stonemason, so his hands were probably pretty gritty, pretty, pretty hard and pretty firm. I see, I see Melissa back there looking at Kyle's hands. Is his, are his hands that way? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry, Kyle. I didn't mean that. <laughs> uh, but you have to, you, you've, you've been here a little while now. You know that we, I like to make fun of people. But, but there's, a, there's a saying in our old church that we went to, you don't, you don't believe anything that Terry says when it gets 10 feet away from the pulpit. So you can say that about, I'm not going to get more than 10 feet away from the pulpit today, so you can believe what I'm saying. Anyway, here we go. Um, but there's some words like redeem, sanctify, hope, salvation, faith, praise, glory, grace, holy, peace, blood sacrifice, resurrection, gospel, Holy Spirit, foreknowledge, Yeshua, or Jesus. There are some words that are used in this, in this, first, this first chapter of, of First Peter that, that if you understand these words, you're going to have a firm kind of a grip or grasp on everything you read in, in, in the New Testament about, about our faith. Not, not totally, but, but there's, a, there's a sense in which these words, these words are real, very kind of exciting words. And, and <clears throat> the class, when we meet downstairs, they all give me a bad time because they, they call me a rabbit hunter. And they're, you know why they call me a rabbit hunter? There are all sorts of rabbit trails that I get to go off on. By, and I get to choose them too, by the way, because I'm the one that's teaching the class. But the idea there is, a, the, how can you not be a rabbit hunter when you go through Scripture? And I, and I mentioned this. I mean, you read a Scripture like, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I mean, pretty, just a kind of a straightforward. But who was Peter? I mean, you guys know a little bit more about Peter than you knew when you got here. That's an interesting thing. An apostle, I haven't told you what an apostle is. They're the ones who, 
who typically are identified by their proximity to Jesus while he was ministering here on earth, of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. I mean, Jesus Christ, Jesus is always the word Yeshua, and Christ is always the word for Messiah in the, in the ancient language. So, so we get to see, a, a, we get to see a, a westernized version of who Jesus really was uh, as, as the Christ. And, uh, <coughs> and then... Uh, 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 I, I think what I'll do is I'll read the first five verses and then I'll come back. And that way I won't get too far ahead of myself and I won't be able to catch up. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. The first five verses, <clears throat> I've heard somebody describe scripture as being pregnant with meaning, and I'm <coughs> Where's David at? Oh, he's out there. He's not listening to me. He told me to slow down less. <laughs> That's not part of my nature. I'm sorry. I can't slow down because there's too much. To you, you guys are following me, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> so um, there's a guy that I really like, Ray Comfort. He's that way, too. He just, I mean, he just blasts people. I'm not comparing myself to Ray Comfort, but I really like to listen to him because he crams a lot of, a lot of stuff into a little bit of time. So <clears throat> to Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, to those who reside as aliens, these people that he's, this letter was written to them to encourage them and give them hope because they were aliens. They, you wouldn't have, if they were native to the cities that we just, that, I, that are mentioned here in a couple minutes, if they were, if they were residents and longtime um, um, residents of those cities, he wouldn't have referred to them as aliens. Although there's a sense in which Christians are aliens in this world, we're, we're pilgrims, as, so to speak, but, but these, were, these would have been considered aliens. And another word for them, is that the modern word is diaspora, or they're the ones that are scattered. And the reason they're scattered is just as because of persecution that had happened in, primarily in Jerusalem. But throughout the area of Judea, known as, Mark made this, uh, made this uh, analogy a couple of weeks ago when he talked about the, the ten tribes that were in the north were considered Israel, and the two tribes in the south were considered Judea. And so, but, so the primary persecution to Christians was coming from, from Jerusalem. The Bible is a master of understatement sometimes, too. So, so when we see in Acts chapter 9, where, where that's where, that's where uh, um, Paul is sent out and he's, he's converted on the road to, to uh, Damascus. And uh, it says he went out to, to, to identify Christians in Damascus and destroy them. Well, a lot of times we don't really understand that word, what that word destroy means. But in Acts chapter 12, where it says where Herod, where Herod, he, 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 wanted to, he, he, he took James, the brother of John, not James, the brother of Jesus, and, and, uh, and Peter captive to, <coughs> to um, what? I guess I got to go there because I lost the word. It was a, it's, a very, it's a very discreet sort of a word that really doesn't uh, say what actually was going to happen to them. Um, 
Now about the time, uh, Acts 1, now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to him, to the church, in order to mistreat them. The next sentence, James is killed by the sword, and then in the two sentences after that, they talk about how, how Herod is going to wait till after the Passover so that he can kill Peter too. So mistreat, is that, I mean, like I say, sometimes the Bible is a master of understatement, but that's why words have, are the, every single word that you read in Scripture is important because you have to get what those words mean. Mistreat, uh, I asked some of the kids in Awana the other night, what, who, are any of you in here when, when I ask you what the word, what the King James said the word for mistreat was? It was harass. And what was, there was another version in there, the New King James. Uh, but, it, but it still didn't carry with it the idea that he was going to murder them, kill them. And so the idea there was that that's what, that was what was happening to the believers in Jerusalem. And so in order to, to, uh, to uh, escape the eventual murder and mistreatment, that so-called mistreatment, they had, to, they had to flee to someplace. And these are the people Peter are talking to in these cities that, that were just mentioned. The, um, that they were that they had went there to escape the persecution that was that was uh, that was coming their way uh, in the very near future. So, like I said, in 70 A.D., when when the Romans finally captured Jerusalem after a two or three year siege, and there wasn't one single Christian left there. So there were no Christians who died at the hands of the Romans because they had been persecuted and set out sent out, so to speak. Christ wanted them to go to, into all the world and preach the gospel, remember? They didn't have any choice, did they? Because they were persecuted to the extent that they, they fled the city and then they brought the gospel to the rest of the world at that time. And so, um, uh, but <coughs> um, the, um, um, the idea that uh, the Romans were going to be nice to the, the, uh, uh, to the Jews was, um, uh, was, their, uh, was part of their downfall, but they, but the Christians, not only, they, they knew that there was no good thing waiting for them in, in Jerusalem. <clears throat> there's a, when you say the word Jerusalem, um, <clears throat> there's a, we need to often remember that one of the words in the, in the, that Christ lifted up was pray for the peace of Jerusalem. There's a sense in which that all of, all of the world, our worldview is built around this one city. It's called the center of the world by some people. And that rock that, that the Akita was where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac is on Moriah where the, where the temple eventually ended up be, being. And, uh, and so that rock is, a, is, a, is a symbolic of the fact that this is the place that God has chosen to be the center of, his, of, the, of the faith that he introduced here in, into creation. First of all, through the Jews and then eventually through the, through the Gentiles, and so uh, also to the Gentiles. And so, so Jerusalem is a really important place, by the way. And so keep your eyes on Jerusalem. I, th I know Mark said that from up here many times before, but, but things are happening in Jerusalem that, that, that are, are good indicators of what's going to go on the rest of the world. Uh, a couple of the people in our class this morning mentioned what's happening at Asbury uh, Seminary uh, College back in, uh, what's Tennessee this morning? Uh -huh, what's that? Kentucky, yeah. Uh, have you guys heard about that? That revival that's going on at Asbury? Uh, that's an amazing thing. That's a, that's, that's a place for us to keep our eyes on even now because 
revivals are fairly uncommon in our world today. And it's, so something like this, to see what a real revival looks like, and it, this one appears to be authentic, th this would be a good place for us to keep our eyes right now to see what's going to happen. And the other part of that is to remember, as I shared this with the folks downstairs too, is that, that a lot of times revivals are, are, Satan gets involved with them too, to try and diminish their, their, uh, their, uh, their effect or, uh, on, the, on the rest of the, uh, of the believing world. And so, so look, for, look for the enemy to, uh, to invade this, this, uh, this uh, revival, but we pray that, that the, the Holy Spirit will, re will resist the, the, the devil and not let him have his way in, in this uh, revival. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, let me see here. Uh, So, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. So, this part of the world is almost entirely located within the border of the, the western part of Turkey, today's Turkey. And maybe, maybe a little bit into Syria, maybe a little bit into Lebanon, but primarily Turkey. But, uh, <coughs> um, but there is an idea, there is a, there's a word that's kind of when I when I like to when I like you guys to would like you guys to take uh, notice of every single word when you read it, there's there's words that you that you that you may not understand what they are, and sometimes these words may even be something that seems a little bit foreign to us right now, and that happens a lot in scripture because we're not familiar with syntax and the etymology of words that, as they come out of the ancient languages. But that's why the ancient languages are so good for us. That's why a Strong's is really important for you to have alongside of you. And a regular dictionary, too, when you read scripture, because you're going to almost always find words that you don't understand what you mean, or that you thought you understood that really don't like mistreat. I mean, mistreat doesn't include the, the idea of, of murdering somebody with a sword or killing somebody with a sword or eventually beheading them like they had planned on, on Peter in, uh, in Acts chapter 12. So... So the idea of the, that this word of chosen, you guys are the chosen of God because, because you're born again. He's going to mention that word a little bit later on. I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself because I love that word, born again. We had a family member, a, dis a distant family member, who, who was talking about, well, I don't believe in that born again stuff. You know? And I thought, you don't believe in the born again stuff? Well, Jesus said he must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And then this word born again is mentioned in the 1 Peter 1, 3 and 23 twice in a very profound sort of a way. And so this idea of born again is what introduces you to the idea of being chosen of God. You are chosen because you're born again. You're chosen because you're born of the Spirit. You're chosen because the Holy Spirit indwells you, sanctifies you, and seals you and sets you apart. And so and we, we talk about this idea. There's a part of your sanctification. You guys have heard that word probably before. Sometimes maybe you haven't. But sanctify actually means set apart or even chosen or special even in a way because, because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. But there's a part of your sanctification. We were talking about being filled by the Holy Spirit today. There's part of your sanctification that has to do with being filled with the Holy Spirit that, that, that includes this idea of growing in sanctification. You grow in grace. Doesn't it say, haven't you heard those, that, those words before in Scripture? You grow in grace and knowledge. That's also part of that sanctifying process. The word sanctify and holy in the, in the Hebrews are almost exactly the same. Kadosh for, uh, for holy, kadish for sanctify. And they are in the Old, the Old Testament Hebrew lexicon, sanctification is almost equal to the idea of being holy. 
in, later on in 1 Peter you know, chapter 1 here, it talks about be holy for I am holy. The only reason you can be holy because, I am, because God is holy is because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and you were born again. So you can be holy. And that's, a, that's the scripture straight from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 that talks about there's this place where you can be holy because of what Jesus has done for you. Not, not because of who you are. It's entirely done by Jesus and the fact that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so whenever you look at, when, you, when you're looking at yourself, you sometimes, you know, I like to, what, who was I talking to? I was, I was, I, I, I kind of talking to the third person. I said, self what are you going to do about this? Or self, what are you going to, um, when you do that self-talk, have you ever done self-talk? Have, have you guys ever done that? You might not say it just like that, because that's kind of a stupid way to say it the way I say it. But sometimes, but sometimes we do, don't you? What am I going to do now? Or something like that. Well, remember who you are, and then that will help you know what to do now. If you know that you belong to Jesus, if he's your, if he's your savior, if he's the one who, who gave himself up for you, gave his life for you, then then when you start thinking like Jesus thinks, then, you can, then decisions become maybe not easier, but more apparent. It's, I mean, when you're going through hard times, Daniel was talking about that up here, when you're going through hard times, many times there's nothing easy about what's going on. But apparent, yes, the, the, right, the right decision, the right choice was, is probably apparent, but, but maybe not easy, right? Sometimes it's easy, sometimes they're easier than others, but not always. And so that's what Peter's talking about. He's talking to people that, are, that have been uh, ostracized, persecuted, kicked out of Jerusalem, or left Jerusalem and left everything behind, and here they are. This is who Peter's talking to now. He's trying to encourage them and give them hope. Paul had his Barnabas, remember, son of encouragement? <clears throat> Peter had Silas, or Silvanus, and it doesn't say too much about Silas, about what he but Silas was with him on one of his in, in the jail uh, experiences, but <clears throat> but God will typically he'll put somebody alongside of you that will give you help you have the strength and the courage and the and the wherewithal even maybe the knowledge even maybe you're a little bit less mature in the word than somebody else is but but typically he'll put somebody like that in your life. Those are the kind of people you should be looking to hang around with too. But they say wisdom only comes from three places: from the word of God, from prayer and from who you hang out with. So those are the kind of people you want to make to keep in close in your life are the people you hang out with. Those are the people that are going to have the most, the most impact in a godly sort of a way are those people who you've chosen to make your friends or let, let in your life. And so um, young people, that's a, that's a hard thing because most of the time we, uh, we like peers to be our, the people that we hang out with and who influence our lives. But peers are usually as dumb as we are. I mean... <laughs> Do I say that to you guys ever? Do I ever call you dumb? Maybe something else, but yeah. But, but it truly is, it, it is true because you have a lot of, there's a lack of experience in your life that you don't get until you're older. Right, Silas? Yeah? Uh, it's just, uh, so, um, so hang around, you, you want to hang around, I'm not saying hang around with me because I tease you guys too much. I mean, they, don't, they probably don't really believe anything I say most of the time. But the idea is they're, choose people wisely, but I see the Michaelis kids back there too. They're, they're good about who they hang out with. And so they, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and they're, very they're very calm. They listen to me too. They give, they, uh, by the way, you guys as kids, not all of them come from this church, but they treat me so well on Monday nights. 
I, it's, it's unbelievable how well they treat me. Even, even Dwayne treats me good. So, <laughs> so not, that's not, I didn't mean to diminish it. But, don't, but they do. And so there's a sense in which to be impacting in a young people. You don't have to make fun of them like I do. I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But there are ways you can be pertinent in young people's lives without being stupid about them. Right, Max? Yeah. So, uh, uh, but I... Uh, 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 I know that, that in, this, in this part of 1 Peter here, the first, first chapter that we're looking at here, Peter is, he's trying to be, he's trying to be uh, pertinent in these people's life. And the way he does it is through encouragement and giving them hope. We, like I say, many times we look at words and we don't, give, we don't know what the, what the real impact of the words or the real strength of their meaning is. In, in the English language, because even the word, like a word like good, I say this all the time, but good in, in, in our lexicon is like good, better, best. You know, it's kind of an average word. In the Hebrew language, good is perfection. And so when you see the word good in the Old Testament, I've said this up here before, so it's probably some of you, it's nothing new. But good is perfection. And so that's what God wants from you. He wants, he wants you, to, you to experience perfection in your life. And the only way you can do that is going to the place where perfection originates, and that's in his word. And so, so be students of the word. And, but the word hope, so I, see, I went off on that rabbit trail about why, why individual words are important. But encouragement is, that, is, is, a, is a word that we all like, isn't it? Most of us need, understand that we need encouragement. And uh, many times we get it from our spouse in our homes. When, when I come here, I just shared with you something that encourages me a lot, and that's your, your kids as we interact together. And so there, but there are a lot of ways that God introduces encouragement in your life, and it's, re, it's an important part of who we are because it, gives us, it, it helps establish that hope that he's going to be. So the word hope is another one of those words that's just sort of a nebulous sort of a word too, isn't it? It just means... Oh, I hope it works out okay, or something like that. That's not what the word hope means in the, in the, in the ancient language. The word hope in the ancient language is, is comes, in the Hebrew comes from a word called tikla. And it's like, it's, like a, a, it's like two strands going out that attaching you, when, it, when I say I have hope, that it's who I have hope in that defines the way hope is. It's like faith. Remember you've heard the word, it's who you have faith in that determines the strength of your faith. Well, this word hope is like those two strands that goes out into the, into the future, into eternity. And guess who they're attached to when you use hope in the biblical sense? The Messiah, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit even some. So the idea that your hope is based on the fact that you're attached to them in some way or another by virtue of your salvation, by virtue of the work that Christ has already did for you. So when we talk about hope in Scripture, when you look at hope in Scripture, it's just an, it's an amazing sort of a correlation that w when that hope is real, it means that you understand who you are in Jesus Christ. And so that's why, that's why it's important that you get the, 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 the power of the individual words in Scripture because we don't get that many times because in our, in our lexicon, it's a, those words uh, have an entirely different meaning. We've let society and culture Culture determine the meaning of words rather than what the ancient languages actually, actually say about them. So, uh, <clears throat> so according to the foreknowledge in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. The remainder of that chapter, verse 2, chapter 1. It's a, it would be, it would be, Virtually, it would be very easy for me to sit up here and work out this one verse for an entire 45 minutes because there's so much that is there that he has for us. 
That's why it's going to be your job to do it. And if you young people aren't asking questions, you're not going to be, I don't see anybody taking down any notes. My wife has always been a note taker. She takes notes and she shares them with me when she gets home. But, uh, <coughs> but um, the idea that, uh, that there's things that we don't know and there's things you, you, you won't understand probably from th- th- that I'm saying up here, you won't get. But the only way you'll get them is if you ask questions. The thing about Christianity that makes it so different from all the other world religions and faith is the idea that it's a credulous religion. It allows for questions. You can ask a question and nobody's going to diminish you or down or, or back down, you know, give you a bad time about asking questions. Scripture, Christianity is the only one that allows that for you. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, all those other isms, will, they, they don't allow for a questioning faith, a credulous sort of a faith. If you don't ask questions, there's many times you won't, if you don't ask questions of other people, you can, you can short-circuit a lot of the, the problems you might have with your misunderstanding in Scripture if you ask somebody who's already done, gone before you and done the work, rather than uh, go through Scripture and try and pull out of it what you think might be the answer for. And so, I mean, there's, there's a good part of that, that too, but, but, but it's good to ask people questions also. <clears throat> Here we go. The, uh, uh, in verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. I, uh, I, I, used to, I used to hear this statement made by a lot of people, don't use Christianese when you talk to people. You know what that means? I mean, we, we know what some words mean, and they don't, because they're not Christians. That's Christianese, when you talk in a language that they don't understand. I don't want to ever think, I, I wouldn't ever want to think, and that's why people have a misunderstanding about this word, born again. There's the idea of born again when Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when Peter says it here, and then he says it again in verse 23, when he says, he says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from their heart. For you have been born again, not of the seed which is imperishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. So this idea of being born again is an entirely Christian concept. It's not, it, is, it may be Christianese if you're not familiar with it, but it should be part of your jargon, part of who you are. You can, you can say that Jesus Christ said that, you must be born again. You know what that word means, born again? It means, of course, that the Holy Spirit is coming and indwelling you. But you know what, actually, what at, when you dive really down far at the very bottom it is? You know what it means? It means you were, that you become like you were intended to be. Like Adam and Eve were. Adam and Eve were pure in, their, in everything that they did the way they were created. When you are born of again, born again, it says, in Christian, it says, therefore, if any man is, well, no, what is it, where is it? <laughs> Um, uh, it, it, see what happens to old guys when they get up here in the pulpit. But the idea of being born again is this idea of becoming like you were, intent, you were meant to be. And if you're not born again, you're not the way you're meant to be. Then you won't be able to experience all of the blessings that God has. When it talks about blessings in Scripture, that's one of the blessings it talks about, is you're the way you were intended to be. Now, does that mean you're going to live your life the way you're supposed to live it? Oh, m- I don't think, there might be one person in here that doesn't sin. I don't think Dennis ever sins, does he? There might be one person here that doesn't sin, but I don't know of any more than one. But the idea here is that the, that, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you are perfect in God's eyes. When he looks across that blood on the altar in heaven that's always there, on your be, that's been shed on your behalf by Jesus Christ, he sees you as if you are Jesus because that's what, that's, that blood was spilled on your account. 
And so by, that, by virtue of Jesus' death on the cross, you can be made like you were intended to be. You can be uh, attained to that, uh, that, that, um, um, uh, that state in which you were intended to be. I, there's so much more to be said about being born again. The, the, what, is it, what does it say? There's a scripture in there's a scripture in says if I were to if I were to tell you all of the things that, that, about Jesus that he had accomplished, there, there, all of the books in the world couldn't contain the content of what we. Were. That's sort of like what being born again means. There is so much that can be said about being born again, and what a privilege it is to have the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life and what it means to you, what it means for your future. Because you do have a future, by the way, you know. You are an eternal, that's a, you, have a, you have a future and a hope only because of what Jesus did on your behalf. Your future, you, everyone has a future, but everyone doesn't have a hope, the way I explained the hope to you. Everyone who doesn't have, is not born again, they have a future, but it's eternal torment. It's not a future in heaven. Uh, or ruling and reigning with Jesus in the thousand-year millennial reign. I'd love to teach on that sometimes when we talk about the, the millennial reign of Christ. Sometime, maybe we'll do that downstairs sometime. But, but there's a time when Christ returns after the tribulation that he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years here on earth. Did you guys know that? A thousand whole years. And guess who gets to rule and reign with him? Faithful believers. And those are the ones who are faithful in this life. There is a reward for you. And the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment of rewards. It's not a judgment of wrath, like it's going to be the great white throne judgment for all those who rejected Christ and the gift of Christ on the cross. But all of us get to experience what it's going to be like to rule and reign with Jesus. Now, that is an entirely, that's something that's a mind blower, isn't it, young people? There is no science book that can tell you about the rule and reign of Christ on earth again. But there are just... Scientifically speaking, there's no science book that can really explain fully the idea of evolution either. So, so what, but what we have, we, we have an authentic book here that has been passed down. Parts of it are 3,500 years old, by the way, and have not changed. Have not changed. The, the, you guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, haven't you? When we, were in, when, we were, when we were at Qumran, you could look out over the Dead Sea, and that's why they call them the Dead Sea Scrolls. At Qumran, that's where, that's where a community of Essenes lived. And that all they did was devote themselves to prayer and, scribe, and scribe, scribing, making new, more copies of manuscripts and everything. And, and one, of the, one of the historical facts that is there about, you know, do, do you, John the Baptizer, he, he was actually a member of that community for a little while. And they heard, they got, one of the, one of the his, historical accounts in one of the scrolls that they found there was an account of this John who had dwelt with us once was beheaded by King Herod. And so the only John we know of that was beheaded in scriptures was, was the baptizer, wasn't it? So he was actually an Essene there. But so the idea, so all of the scribal evidence that we find around Qumran there are, is really pretty amazing. There is only one complete book found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of you know this probably. It's the book of Isaiah. And uh, there, isn't, there, are, there isn't one textual error in the entire book as they got it out of there, which, was, which predated Christ, that, that scroll, up until now, 2,000 years later. So the Bible that we have, the Isaiah, the, by, by the way, the largest of the, of the prophets, they didn't divide them like that in the in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, but, but the largest of the prophetic books is Isaiah. Isaiah. And so the largest of the books in the, in, uh, of the prophetic books was the, uh, was the scroll that was found in the Dead Sea in the caves there at Qumran. And um, not one, there's not one single error in that that would, that would, that would, that would uh, uh, um, 
change any of the meanings or most of the words even in, in the Isaiah scroll. And so, so that was, that's one of the primary evidences that a lot of people, a lot of us didn't really have. The Dead Sea Scrolls really didn't become well known until the, uh, the 60s and 70s, although they were discovered in 48, 49 and 50. But, but so that's one of the evidences that the Bible that we have is the Bible that God intended us to have, that was, has been preserved for thousands of years. And so, um, uh, so <clears throat> it's a, I have 10 minutes left to wrap it, wrap it, wrap it up for you guys, or, uh, yeah, about 10 minutes, and I, and I want to do it in a way that, that, can, that can leave you leaving here with, with something to take home with you. And uh, there's a, there, uh, I, I, I hesitate to tell you what to think, but I'm going to, okay? There's a scripture in Philippians chapter 4 that, that's really become one of my favorites, and there's a scripture in Second Peter chapter. There's a lot of my favorite scriptures, but, but this is one of them. It says, it, it's in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, it says, it says uh, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. It says, let, the, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you guys know what the next one is? Eight? It says, finally, my brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is just, whatever is of good repute, or if there be any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So I'm not telling you, but the Bible is telling you. You guys have any problems with your thought life? Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and do what it says in there. Think on those things. If you think on those things, then you're, you're much more likely to, to, to uh, end up in the right place as far as a decision in your life or a or something that's troubling you. I mean, I'm troubled all the time by the things that happen in my life. And I was sharing with the guys on Thursday night about what I do to keep from, about keeping from uh, having nightmares. And my favorite thing to do is, I was a, I, and, I'll, and I'll end with this, I promise. I'm, I'm sorry, Stephen, but, but I had to share this again. I didn't know I was gonna be doing this tonight, but, but today. Uh, <coughs> but, uh, but I think about something that's, that's, uh, that's good. And, uh, and uh, when Marie and I were in Jerusalem, it's been a long time ago, but we were, up on, we were up in the old city, and we were sitting down in this cafe right next to a bookstore that I like, and I still do business with them by the internet, but, but, but the Shorsham shop. But we were sitting in this, in this, by this cafe, and it's a bagel shop, and we were having a bagel, of course, and, and, uh, and a cup of coffee, and um, baklavas and bagels are the favorite foods there, by the way. Best food in the world is in Israel. And so, uh, but I heard this little girl say, Abba, Abba! I thought that was only in the Bible. But that's what kids call their dad, Abba. And, you know, and that's the Hebrew language, of course. Did that, I mean, that, that shocked me. I mean, I didn't, I, I thought, wow, that's what Jesus cried from the cross, from the cross, Abba, Father, wasn't it? Yeah. And so I, I thought, what an amazing thing. And that's part of what I look. And then you walk away from that cafe and there are six flights of steps that go down to the hotel or, the, or the, where the Wailing Wall is. And I was looking at a picture of it again. Right now they're doing some more construction on it. But, but so by the time, you can go anywhere in the world on a camera. The, 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 there's a camera called the wall cam there. You can go to the, 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 the Temple Mount or the Kotel anytime you want, any time of the day or night. And so, so I was, it's 10 hours ahead of us there. But, <clears throat> but so I, I walked down these steps. This is what I'm doing when, I, when, I'm, when I'm trying to think of some way to go to sleep. I walked down these steps. I walk across the hotel, over to the wall, and 
that's where the, you see the, the, the uh, what we would call Pharisees now, they're sitting there praying, and they do that. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good way of keeping time, by the way, when you're singing music. We go like this and like this, but this is the best way to keep time to music. Anyway, so they're, they're sitting over there and they're at this wall and they're praying and, and they're sticking notes in the little cracks, not little cracks, they're big cracks in that wall. They're, they're writing out prayers and they're putting in those because that's going to be the closest place to God, they think, when he returns. So they put their, I, I didn't do that, but maybe I should have. Um, but I, I walk up and, and there's this old Hebrew guy sitting. He says, I'm sorry, you can't go in there without a kippah on. I had my baseball hat. So he made me put a, a kippah, a, a, a yarmulke on. And so I walked over next to the wall, and I, I, you, can see, you can see about as high as they can reach on that wall because the grease off of their hands, because it comes off on the wall and it discolors the rock that's on the wall. And so I walk over there, and I, and I envision myself doing that now because I should have when I was there. I, I think we got to go back again, Marie, sometime. And so then after that, then after that, I walk around to the, to the side there, and there's a, there's a, the entrance to the Temple Mount is not, you can't get to the Temple Mount from the Kotel. And you have to walk around. And if you're, if you're a Gentile, you have to go through metal detectors and they search your luggage and everything. And you get on that ramp that goes up it. And, uh, and you, you walk up that ramp. And you can see down to this side, there's, a, there's, a, there's always a contingent of Israeli soldiers down there so that they can jump up onto the Temple Mount if there's any sort of, of, any sort of wrongdoing going up there. And I walk up there. And as soon as you come out on the Temple Mount, on the right-hand side is the Al-Aqsa Mosque which is a dirty, dingy old building. I mean, they call it the, most pr- the, most, the, the second most holy site in, in Islam is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And so you walk by that, and that's where a lot of the riots start, by the way. They, the the, the, the um, Muslims get back inside there and they throw rocks outside there because they know the soldiers won't come in there. And, and a lot of the riots start in the Al-Aqsa. And we walked by the Al-Aqsa, and we walked around the side, and we went over to the, to the eastern gate. <laughs> The eastern gate is all blocked up. It's the gate. It's called the gate beautiful. It's the gate Jesus came through when he came into Jerusalem. Baruch Abba I don't know. I remember when they were when they were saying, "Come, you know, even so, come, Lord Jesus." And he would go in that gate, and uh, and that's the way he came. But now that gate's all blocked up because they don't want Jesus to come through it again. How does that work? <laughs> the King of Glory can't come in a gate. <laughs> Give me a break. But so there are steps that you walk up to get up. And then we walked over to the Mosque of Omar, which they call the Dome of the Rock now. And, and uh, I don't know where you were at, Marie, when I went around that side, but I went in, I actually went inside the Mosque of Omar, and I wasn't supposed to. Nobody caught me and nobody kicked me out. But I could see, I could see that rock that was in there that, that Isaac was laid on by his dad. And uh, they called it the uh, the, the, the Jews call it the Akita, meaning the, the binding of Isaac, was the, or the binding. They, you know, got, um, Moses or uh, Abraham bound Isaac and put him on the on the on the on the uh, fire on the pyre, and with, but and of course God provided the sacrifice, and uh, Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. But I never reached the, the that Mosque of Omar when I'm thinking about this. I rarely even reach the top of the steps going onto the Temple Mount because by the time I get there, I'm asleep and the pain doesn't bother me anymore or my, if what's going on in my mind doesn't bother me anymore. And so there's a sense which, which you can use your imaginations. You know, God created you with imaginations. There are some things about God. There's, a, there's some mystical teachings out there and I don't want to get too far in it because you might think I'm crazy, crazier. That 
that you can only apprehend about God by using your imagination, and that's part of your mind. But I'm not saying, I'm not saying let it run wild with you or anything like that. If your imagination doesn't correspond with the Word of God, then, then don't think on that. It says don't, there are some things you're not supposed to think on. But so, so you can get there and in your imagination. These, and it doesn't have to be like me. It doesn't have to be in Jerusalem. It can be on a, a very special hunting trip or a very special trip with your family or something like that. Some way to get your mind off of where you are. Or even better, the Word of God. Or music. I mean, music can do that too. And so there's lots of different ways to divert your mind and make it, and get it, uh, line up, make it line up with where God wants you to be at that time. But, but anyway, so think on the things that... Uh, uh, Philippians 4, eight, think on things. The, I would have loved to have gone through each one of those words. The first one is truth, though. Listen, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Those are words that are profound words, and if you get the meaning, if you break down those words, I mean, you know what, you know what, what it means to break down a word by its, by its roots? And it's called the etymology of a word. I, used, I, I had this guy that was in my class at Crossover. He was a he was a biology teacher at WSU. It used to drive him nuts when I'd mispronounce etymology. I'd say entomology. He says, that's the study of bugs, Les. I, said, I knew that, Jim. That's but the etymology of words is really important. I see what I, why did I put that in there? That, had no, that has nothing to do with anything. But there is an, there's the idea, though, that, that words have meaning. And unless you understand what those words, Sarah, yeah, See, I'm, I'm picking on, since my grandkids aren't here, I have to pick on other kids that are here. But, this, uh, oh, Renee, I haven't picked on you yet today either. The idea, the idea that we know what the words mean gives us a fuller meaning of what God's trying to say in his word. And in the ancient language, too, in the ancient languages, there is a profound difference between what we think of a word's meaning is and what the original intent of God was used in the ancient language. And so there's more and more evidence that Hebrew is being used. In, in, there are several more books in the New Testament that may have been, had Hebrew origins rather than Greek. But of course, the Old Testament is almost entirely um, uh, Hebrew uh, in origin. But, but so the, um, the, the, I'll just end up, I, just, I said I was going to end up with telling you what to think, didn't I? <laughs> One more thing. That word, at your, that, that, that music, at, that song, at, at, the, at your name, the mountains roar. The word name in the, in the ancient language is, a, is, is an amazing, amazing word. The Jews never say the name of God when they're teaching. Adonai or Elohim or they say the name, Hashem. Unless they're actually reading scripture, then they'll say the name. But they always say Hashem. Right, Judy? Whenever they're teaching, they're teaching, they'll never say that, that name because it's so high it's so profound that they don't want to make it common by saying it. And so if they're reading it out of Scripture, is a different thing. But if, if, but if you're studying or, or giving a lesson or giving over the word or something like that, they always say Hashem, the name. And so that song has really profound meaning to me when I, when I hear at, the, at your name. So Hashem. And, uh, but there are a lot of... There's several other things I could say about that too. But thank you guys for listening to me. And uh, you, you get Mark back next week and he's way better than I am at this. And, and I, I really do appreciate the... the I, I like to look around at you guys. I didn't see anybody fall asleep. <laughs> Nobody fell asleep today. And that's, that's a great testimony. There's... I, one more two-minute story, okay? <laughs>
Chuck Swindoll, you guys all know Chuck Swindoll? There was a, there was a lady, who, her and her husband, they sat in the very front row of Chuck Swindoll's church, and her husband fell asleep almost every Sunday. And just, just a few minutes after the sermon would start. And he, this guy died later on. And the wife came to Chuck and said, I appreciated you so much all those years for never, for never calling attention to my husband for falling asleep. And he said he, had, he was on medications and he had a disease that he just fell asleep, that, that he couldn't keep himself awake after he sat down. And so we, we always really appreciated how you didn't make, make fun of my husband for falling asleep. And Chuck said, you don't know how many times I want to go down there and strangle that guy for falling asleep in the middle of my sermons. And so, so but, but so, <laughs> I wouldn't have done that to you either. If you'd have fallen asleep, it would have been all right. But, uh, but um, these guys are going to, uh, worship with you now.